Hi, Tula. Welcome those in live stream. We're so glad to have you tonight. Every day, probably a day doesn't pass by that someone tells me how much they appreciate our live stream services. People that are shut-ins, people that are not able to come to church and tell how much they appreciate so much the services they see on live. So thank you, men back there, for your faithfulness. Before we get started, we've been talking about prayer, and um, a man in our church has a real heart for children. He runs our children's church, Dr. Phil Myers, has put together... Uh, a little prayer sheet here. I'm going to have him come explain to you in just a moment. It's called the hedge. You know, in the Bible, there was a conversation between God and Satan. And Satan accused Job. And basically, uh, he told God, I can't touch Job because you put a hedge of protection about him. And, and Dr. Myers has put together a prayer sheet that you can pray a hedge protection around your family and children. I know my wife and I had, the, had one of these when my children were little. We prayed for them. So, Dr. Myers, you come up here and explain this to them. And we have one of these for everybody here tonight, uh, free of charge from Dr. Myers. So, uh, let him explain it to you, then we'll pass them out. about 50 years ago, I saw a little, little diagram, and it had a, a picture of a, a child, and around it, five different categories to pray for, spiritual, social, mental, emotional, and physical. And I, I thought that was such a good idea to be able to pray for the, the aspects of their lives. And so... And each one had about five items, so there were about 25. In your hands, you have my expanded version of that with 300. Now, this is what it looked like at the beginning. That's the original list. It's photocopy, and, it's, and it turns out, for some reason, on orange paper or whatever. But you can see two sides. One has the child on the front, and then on the, and it says... Uh, the hedge, and on the back it says, my prayer demolition project. Most of you know we had nine kids, and I had a lot of sinful uh, old natures in that, in that house for a long time. And I began praying for my children with those 25, and I thought I can expand that. And on my list, on this list right there, I have written in, on my, in handwriting a verse next to many of them. You might enjoy doing that on your own copy, a verse that talks us how, teaches us how to pray for others. I have been training pastors for years and years and years. Pa pastor Peterson was a student while I was a Bible college professor at Florida Bible College in Hollywood. We didn't have any classes together, but uh, that, that dates me a little bit. Next year I turn 80. Now don't tell the kids, I have a birthday party coming up this Sunday and we call it my 100th birthday party. We've had the 100th birthday party for eight years already. At any rate, but uh, as I traveled, um, visiting pastors and giving worship uh, seminars and so forth around the country, uh, I got the chance to talk to a lot of pastors. And one year I asked them how they preached on money, and they all had all different ways. Another year I asked them, if you were going to pass on advice to young pastors, what would you say? And I made a list of the things that they said. 
And then I said a few, one year, I, I asked them all, uh, what would you do differently if you were going to do the whole thing over again? These were men of the word. None of them said I'd spend more time in the word. But the most often repeated thing was, I pray more. These are men who knew how to pray. I met one pastor who made it a habit on Saturday morning to walk over to church and sit in every seat in the auditorium and pray for the person who usually sat in that seat. I have pastors who go through their uh, directory and pray for those names of the people who are there as well as the unbelievers who pray consciously as they are walking out the door, praying for them as he shakes their hands. How do you pray? What's your prayer set up in your own life? Um, I have asked the Lord to let me go with him through Gethsemane and listen to his prayers. We only have a couple words that he prayed. And as we sang that, Troy, that was beautiful to be able to think of of kneeling with the heavenly father, with the son right next to talking to his heavenly father. I've asked him, let me hear everything that you said. Well, this has a picture of a little boy on it. But I've asked all the Sunday school teachers, I'm the Sunday school superintendent, I've asked all the Sunday school teachers to make prayer a habit of their life for their kids, for their, for their students, whether they are teaching elementary kids or preschoolers or senior adults, the singles, the couples. I've asked them to make a habit of doing that. Some do it every single day. Others do it on a regular schedule of some sort or other. They do it in different ways. But it's part of the Sunday school prayer ministry. If you're not in Sunday school, get into a Sunday school and you will have somebody praying for you by name. Some of you don't know that people are praying for you. There are people in this church probably who have prayed for you on a regular basis going through that directory that we have. They don't know you, but they are just going through and whoever this is, Lord, and then they have a way of praying. Now, I know the way that people may pray for missionaries the most common prayer for missionaries, I've heard it, I don't know how many times. They pray that missionaries will be what? Safe. <laughs> now, if you pray for your pastor to be safe here in America every day, well, I don't know how you pray. He's pretty safe, and most of your missionaries are pretty safe. You don't have to pray that. You probably they've been prayed for being safe more times than they need. I don't know that that's true or not, but that may be. Well, I have a sign. I have 350,000 miles on motorhomes. I've covered every state in the Union, Africa, or rather uh, uh, Hawaii and Alaska, not by motorhome, but I, in my first motorhome, I put a little sign right next to the steering wheel. And I still had it at the end of 350,000 miles, 40 years later. And it says, Phil, you've got to 
pray better. I'm not close to where my wife is in her prayer life. And I work at it just to keep up. I need to get as many points as I can, I'm sure. I don't know how many of you have prayed for a whole hour. Many Christians have not. You pray for 10 seconds for each one of those items. It's just going through a list. It'll keep you busy for more than an hour. Some of you need to make a habit of praying. This is an intercession. But there are pastors have been on this, this rant about praying, and it doesn't just call intercession. This is just intercession. That's only one aspect. There's worship. There's thanksgiving. There's supplication. You know, and he's talked about all of those things. But if you just want to intercede for people, learn how to do it and do it before you get to heaven. There's not a whole lot of need for prayer in heaven, I suppose. I don't know about that. We'll have to find out. One of the things that I pray for every week as prayer requests are made for people who are sick, there are 36 health requests, 36 doctors plus staff members, plus nurses and PAs. On cancer alone, there are 32. That's 68 different doctor's offices here in our community. I pray for the doctors. Truck drivers, over-the-road truck drivers, go to church less than any other occupation in America. That's the bottom Next to the bottom are medical doctors. And if you don't witness to the, your doctors, nobody is going to do it. I had a delightful time yesterday talking to my, PA, my, my, my family physician. And we had a delightful time. He says, yeah, I'm a Jew, but I'm just a dietary Jew. <laughs> he says, my wife is a real religious Jew, but I'm not. He says, I went to Hernando Christian School. In the next county up. Not saved yet. Pray for Dr. G. Well, I don't know how you're going to use this. And I don't know how it's going to change your life. But make sure that you make a lot of progress for the rest of the year. You only got four months left. Thank you so much, Dr. Myers. I appreciate that so much. And I hope you'll use that for your children or for your grandchildren. Good uh, thing there. All right. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me. Or missionaries. Or missionaries, yes. And your pastor. <laughs> Thank you very much. Numbers chapter 22, please. The book of Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Numbers, please. Tonight we're going to talk about what is called God's perfect will and God's permissive will. And it is very important that every Christian needs to understand the difference between the two of these. God's perfect will and God's permissive will. Some time ago I had a uh, young lady call the church office and wanted to come by and uh, meet, uh, meet with me and and when she came in the office, I realized I recognized her. She was in her 20s. She used to, was once a student in our Christian school. And she was an adult now. 
And she came in with a young man, and I, I recognized her, and I shook my, took my hand out to the young man. He says, uh, Pastor Peterson, this is my fiance, and told me his name, and said, we uh, come here, and we want to know, we want to get married, we want to know if you would marry us. And so I, I first said, well, thank you. I'm honored that you would like for me to do that for you, and you choose me, because I know there's many places you go, but you chose to come to me, and uh, I'll, let's talk about it. So I did. And after talking about it for a while, I've come to realize that he was not saved. He was not a believer. In the process, I tried to witness to him. He says, I'm not interested in that. And uh, so basically, uh, then we got done there. She said, what do you think? Will you marry us? I said, well, no, ma'am, I can't do that. Because the Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And the Bible says, and I mentioned her name, I said, though he, I looked at him and said, you may be a fine man, everything you've said, she says about you, you're a wonderful young man, but you're not saved. And it is out of the will of God for this woman to marry you because God says that should not happen. And she told me, so pastor, I've prayed about this much and I feel it is God's will. I said, well, it's God's perfect will is you not to marry him. But yes, he would permit you to do that. And so, but I said, I'm sorry, I cannot do that. I'm very sorry. And so they left, and uh, a couple of days later, I got a phone call from her mother. And her mother tried to convince me to marry them. Told me what such a wonderful man he was, and all his character traits, and I said, that's not the issue here. And whatever thing I know about, he is a nice young man, wonderful man, but he's not saved and God clearly tells us in word that a believer should not marry an unbeliever. And so they hung up, and I said, I did not hear from them for about a year and a half. And uh, I went to the place, uh, if you want to see half the church members, go to Walmart. I went to Walmart there, and I was walking one of the aisles, and all of a sudden I saw her coming towards me, pushing a stroller. And had a baby in the stroller. And I come and I looked at her. Oh, it was so nice to see you. And she said, uh, how you doing? She said, I'm doing fine. All of a sudden, she began to cry. She said, Pastor, uh, we come to you some time ago to get married. And you said you would not do that. And I knew down in my heart that was not the right thing to do. But I was in love. And my emotion clouded good judgment. And we were married about six months. I got pregnant. And he left me. And now I'm all alone with this baby, and she began to cry again. And so there's a difference between God's perfect will and God's permissive will. What's the difference, Pastor? God's perfect will is you letting God have his way. God's perfect will is you letting God have his way. God's permissive will is God letting you have your way. Let me say that again. God's permissive will is God letting you have your way. And I pray all the time, God, don't let me have my way if it's contrary to your way. Because I realize I, am, I don't have all knowledge. I don't, I don't have all wisdom as he does. He knows what's best. So again, God's perfect will is you letting God have his way. And God's per permissive will is God letting you have your way. I want to give you four examples of this in the Bible. And that would be able to cover it all today, but we'll get started. God's perfect will, the first example, and here in Numbers is an example of a man, a prophet called Balaam. Balaam 
is referred to in Scripture as a prophet for hire. And if you look in chapter 22, look with me in verse 1, please. I'd like to read several scriptures here so you can see the context. And we're going to see an example of the difference between God's perfect will and God's permissive will. Numbers chapter 22, begin verse 1, please. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on the side of Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was so afraid of the people because there were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, remember that word Midian, now, so now shall this company, talking about the Jewish people, lick up all that is round about us, as an ox licketh up the grass from the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was the king of Moabites at that time. And he, in verse 5, talking about Mo, uh, Balak, sent messengers therefore unto Balaam, the son of Beor, of Pithor, which is by the river, the land of the children of his people, and called him, saying, Behold, there is a people cometh out from Egypt, Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Verse 6. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that I, we may smite them, that I may drive them out of the land. For I want uh, that he which whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou curses is cursed. And verse 7. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed from the rewards with to me with rewards of divination in their hand and came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night and I will bring you word again as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God, verse 9, God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? By the way, God knew what they were. That's for our understanding, okay? He asked, what men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, this people has come out from Egypt, that cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse me th them, peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And verse 12, And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Remember that. Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are what? Blessed. So here we have God's perfect will. Basically, uh, Moab, the king of Moab, uh, sent unto Balaam and said, I want you to curse these people. And notice he sent rewards of divination. They came with money and uh, to offer him that you would do this. And he said, let me go talk to God. God says, no, don't do it. And now look in verse 13. And Balaam rose in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuses to give me leave to go with you. And the prince of Moab rose up, and they went to Balak, and said, Balaam refused to come with us. And Balak sent yet again princes, more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me, for I will what? Promote thee with very great honor, and I'll do whatsoever thou sayest to me. Come, therefore, and I will pr and pray and curse his people. And verse 18, And Balaam answered and said unto the servants, 
If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord or do less or more. But verse 19, now, therefore, I pray you, tarry here all night, and that I may know the, what the will of the Lord say unto me. By the way, he already knew what God said. And I believe this extra reward, these people that were higher stature and more round came to him and motivated him. So I, let me go talk, ask God again. <laughs> and verse 20, God said unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the man shall come and call thee, rise up and what? Go with them, but ye shall. But the, yet the word which I shall say unto thee, thou shalt do. And Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the prince of Moab. So basically, in verse twelve, you have God's perfect will: don't go. And so uh, Balaam knew exactly that, and basically he said, "I can't go." So they send people that were higher in authority with greater rewards, and said, why don't you go again? And so he went back and asked God again. And it appeared that God changed his mind. He said, if they come, go. So look on your papers, please. Letter A, the prophet of Balaam. We saw the scripture there. Number one, God's perfect will. Verse 12, thou shalt not go. That was God's perfect will. He made it very clear. You can't bless these people. You can't curse these people because they are blessed. But then we see God's permissive will in verse uh, 20. It said, God came unto Balaam at night and said unto them, If the men come, un come to call thee, rise up and go with them. There's God's permissive will. So his perfect will, don't go. His permissive will, go ahead and go. Now, if you get a chance, you ought to read more about that. And, of course, he went. Remember the story? He rode on a donkey. And the donkey, uh, on the travel there, he saw, the donkey saw an angel. And the donkey stopped, would not move forward. And Balaam hit him. And because Balaam didn't see the donkey, I mean the angel. And struck him. And several times, several times. And the story goes on to say that God gave the donkey able to talk. And said, why do you keep hitting me? <laughs> and basically, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But the cost, now number three. The cost of rejecting God's perfect will and doing God's permissive will, Balaam lost his life. Balaam lost, number three, the cost, Balaam lost his life. And get a chance, you can read chapter 31, verse 8. A time passed that Israel did attack the Midianites, and guess who was there with them? Balaam was there with them, and he lost his life. So he rejected God's perfect will, God allowed him to do what he wanted to, and the cost was it cost him his life. Go, go with me now quickly to 2 Peter chapter 2, please. 2 Peter chapter 2. Here Peter talks about Balaam. The prophet for hire. And look what it says about him. 2 Peter chapter 2. In verse 14. 2 Peter 2, 14. The context here is talking about false prophets and false teachers and gives us characteristics of a false teacher in verse 14. 2 Peter 2.14, it said, Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, notice here, and heart they have exercised with what? 
Covetous practices. How many realize so many false teachers out there today are in it for the money? You see so many TV evangelists and radio evangelists and always asking for money and many have been exposed to how they misuse money. And it talks about one of the things here, they have a heart exercise with covetous practices. But look in verse 15. These false prophets which have forsaken the right way and have gone astray following the way of who? Balaam. That's the one we read about from Numbers. Following the ways of Balaam, the son of Bezor. And notice here his characteristics. Who love the wages of what? Unrighteousness. He rejected God's perfect will because he loved the wages of unrighteousness. He loved the money and the, the, the promotion that they offered him. And maybe by chance God maybe changed his mind so I can get this promotion and get the money. And so basically, then it says in verse 16, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. The word madness means foolhardiness. Now, there's probably the first time you heard the pastor use a nasty word. <laughs> but anyway, the scripture said that. I usually don't say that word without reading scripture. <laughs> but I put down the dumb donkey speaking a man's voice. Uh, basically, talking about madness here means the foolhardiness speaking of Balaam. So here we have an example of God's perfect will, God's permissive will. And those who reject God's perfect will pay a price. And what price did Balaam pay? His life. Number two. Number two. Go now to 2 Samuel chapter 8, please. 2 Samuel chapter 8. Here we have the people of Israel. The people of Israel. Second, Second Samuel, it seems like this may be the last of the four we'll be able to look at tonight. Second Samuel chapter 8, the people of Israel. Second Samuel chapter 8. First Samuel, thank you. I just see if you pay attention. <laughs> thank you very much. First, <laughs> you'll look at Second Samuel. Sometimes the pastor's right, sometimes he's wrong. <laughs> First Samuel chapter, thank you very much. Feel free to correct me if I give you the wrong one. I appreciate it very much. First Samuel chapter 8. Look with me in verse 4, please. In fact, you back up, you see the context. Look in verse 1. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. And it goes and gives their names. But verse 3. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after what? What is lucre? Money. Oh, they're much like prophet Balaam. Going after money. And took bribes and perverted judgment. Verse 4. Then all the elders gathered of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and Ramah. And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all nations. And verse 6. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Israel wanted to be like all other nations. All other nations had a king in authority to judge them, to guide them, direct them. And so basically in this process, they're rejecting God's way and going the world's way. 
And notice what it says in verse 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people, and all that they say to thee, for they have not rejected thee, they have rejected me, that I should not, what? Reign over them. So basically, look on your sheet there, please. God's perfect will, God's perfect will, God's will was to reign over his people and lead them through his prophets. God's will, his perfect will, was to reign over his people and lead them through his prophets. Israel did not want that. And God said, listen, Samuel, they, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me that I should not reign over them. And so, God, again, God's perfect will was, a, uh, will was to reign over his people and lead them through his prophets. Now look in verse, skip down to verse 19, please. We're going to see God's permissive will. God's permissive will. Now, I'm going to share with you in just a moment. He, he, God told Samuel to warn them that if they reject God to reign over them, want some man to reign over them, here's what's going to happen. We're going to look at that in a moment. But the people still rejected God's way, God's perfect will. Verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, but we will have a king over us that we may be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go before us and fight our battles. And verse 21, And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And, uh, but anyway, so, God's perfect will, he wanted to reign over them and lead them through his prophets. And now God's per permissive will, a king to rule over them. God's permissive will was a king to rule over them. That's what all the heathen nations did. They want to be like everybody else. How many realize that when God's people want to, be, want to be like the world, usually it's the wrong way. They want to be like everybody else. And so they rejected God's perfect will, and now they get God's permission will. But so God gave them what they wanted. But in verse 22, where he said, uh, basically, and the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, Go every man to the city. So God said, Okay, you don't want my way, I'll let you have your way. But he warned them. Notice the cost of rejecting God's way, the cost of God's permissive will. Back up in verse 9, please. Back up in verse 9. It says, Now therefore hearken unto their voice. This is God speaking to Samuel. Howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked him a king. Verse 11. And he said, This will be the manner of a king that shall reign over you. He shall take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots and for his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. He will appoint his, him captains over thousands, Captains over fifties will set them to ear his ground, to reap his harvest, to make his instruments of war, instruments of chariots. He will give, he will take your daughters to be confectionaries, to be cooks, and to be bakers. And he will take your fields. I'm sorry, stop right there. Basically, the first thing, uh, the cost, number one, the loss of your children. The loss of your children. He says, go ahead, but before... It, Tell them what the cost is going to be. You will lose your children. 
Number two, put down the loss of your possessions. The loss of your possession, look in verse 14. He will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even to the best of them, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed, of your vineyards, to give to officers and to his servants. He will take your men servants, your maid servants, and your goodliest young men and your asses, and put them to work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you shall be his servants. So the cost, number one, the loss of your children. Number two, the loss of your possessions. And lastly, unanswered prayer. Unanswered prayer. Look in verse 18, please. And you shall cry out in that day because of your king, which you shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not what? Hear you. So basically, he warns them. In other words, I'll, I'll, if you take, want your way over my way, there's going to be a price. The loss of your children, the loss of your possessions, and an unanswered prayer. So hopefully, we need to stop right there because it's past 8 o'clock. But we're going to look at two more examples of God's perfect and permissive will. But I want you to go back over these with please. And we're going to talk about in our process here how to find God's perfect will for your life. And, uh, and I encourage you to realize there's a price when you reject God's way. If you know God's way, choose his way. Because remember the difference? God's perfect will is what? You letting God have his way. God's permissive will is God letting you have your way. He did that to Balaam and Balaam lost his life. He did that to the children of Israel. They lost their children, they lost their possessions, and he would not answer their prayers. Let's stop right there. So can, I hope you come back next, not next week, next week is revival. Two weeks from tonight, we'll continue this and, and uh, talk about how to know and find God's perfect will and have God's greatest blessing upon your life. Let's bow together, please. Father in heaven, we were just getting started with a great truth in your scripture. And I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit, which lives inside of us, would confirm in our hearts the seriousness of this matter between God's perfect will and your permissive will. And may we always desire and seek to do your perfect will and let you have your way in our lives. Father, I saw an example in that young lady who came to me wanting to get married. And she rejected your perfect will and you permitted her to get married. She went against uh, your perfect will and it cost her tremendously. And she grieved over that. Father, I pray my, uh, the people of First Baptist Church here would always seek your perfect will and not experience the hurt, the loss that comes with God letting us have our way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.